part of that. Come on, as our life groups. I know, come on, you can cheer for that. See, like the Moriarty's, right? They just got married, got a new house, and they're going to have their very first life group in their home. I know, it's good. It's good. So the life groups are going to be partnering with this series that we're doing. We want to create some intensely relational settings for people to come to. You have friends that might not go to a Bible study, but they'll go to a game night. You have some friends that might not be interested in reading a book for seven weeks, but they'd be interested in dropping their kids off at a childcare house and going out to dinner with a group of people. It's fascinating. As you begin to study Scripture, you find that some people, they became followers of Christ in in, in a setting like this. But then you read about Matthew, who was a disciple, who God chose to give us one of the four Gospels. You read about the story of Zacchaeus, And you find that they did not become a follower of Christ until after they were in an intensely relational setting. And it was in that kind of setting that something came alive in them. I'm telling you, it's all about igniting the embers in the hearts of people. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that God has to put eternity in the hearts of people. And we want to be a church that fans that flame in this series. And I'm telling you, this is going to be a historic time for our church. It's going to be good. All right, it's a little commercial break there for you. All right, so we're in a series that we just started last week called Prayer. So somebody sent another faith promise story in this week. I know, this is good. You're going to like this. So my husband and I have been a part of the City Life Church over, for three, over three years now. And I'm a bit ashamed to say that, that this is the first year that we have fully participated in Faith Promise. So if your faith promise is an initiative that we started in the beginning of the summer is that, that you pray, you ask God to give you a number, and then you believe by faith that he's going to provide that money to you somehow, and you make a promise that, that when he does, that, uh, that you're going to give that to the initiative. And so we're believing that we're going to raise over $50,000 by the end of this year. We're getting close to twenty already having been given. And so, so we've been saying, hey, tell us your stories as they come in. So this year we talked about it. As a couple and decided we'd pray separately for a number, turned out God gave us both the exact same number. It's good stuff, isn't it? So we knew that this was something that we had to make a priority, and we are both very blessed with solid jobs. However, the number God gave us didn't fit anywhere in our budget, especially given some ongoing medical expenses that we've been racking up for the past two years. We wrote the number down on the card and started to believe God for a way to give our very first faith promise. We also decided that on top of the extra money God provided during this time, we'd give 100% of the profits of a product my husband started selling on the side as part of our gift. Not long after making that commitment, I walked into my office one morning and I found a card on my desk for my boss. In it was a substantial amount of cash with a note telling me this money was just because I'm appreciated. A few weeks later, my boss handed me an envelope as I walked out of a meeting. And it was a card that simply said, a gift for you, you guessed it, more cash. Some of you are thinking, where can I put it in an application at that place of employment? I've received more unexpected money at work, which is in an industry that was hit hard by the economic downturn in the last month or so than I have in eight years that I have worked at this company combined. In addition to the unexpected money I've been receiving at work, the product that my husband is selling continues to generate money consistently. We believe wholeheartedly that God will provide our faith promise by the end of the year and can't wait to continue dropping those checks in the basket. We're already three quarters of the way there, and it's only September. Come on! It's good stuff, isn't it? That's part of what faith promise is about. You don't know where that money's going to come from, but there's, there's things in life that God's going to give to you that's just born out of his grace, and then there's things that God's going to give to you only if you believe for them and ask. I don't, I, I don't want to be the person that gets to heaven and God shows me all the stuff that he says, Fred, if you had only asked, 
If you had only believed, this could have been yours. We want to be a church that stirs up inside of you an appetite to believe big things for God. Big things. All right. So last week we talked about some abbreviations. Remember doing that a little bit? Some brainstorming. So I'm going to test you a little bit tonight. You ready? I know. Testing is a bad word, isn't it? It just makes you cringe when you hear it. So we're going to start off easy because this is the one that I learned last week, right? Because I'm 45 and so I'm getting a little bit old, so I'm not hip on all the lingo. Which is? Nice. You only live once. And so, so I came up with a new one, right? I came up with a new one. This is a Fredism. Y'all, you only live forever, right? Because we're Christians. Right? So I'm, I'm working in, I'm trying to change youth culture. It's not really catching on, so you have to help me out. Oh, yeah, that one's not really not catching on. All right, I got any accountants in the room? Any people work in the financial sector? Got a much coveted City Life sticker? Come on. Oh, I knew, I knew there was going to be somebody here. I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew. All right, come on, Gil, what is it? Yes, come on, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciate. You all are bitter, bitter. You're not clapping for people. (laughs) We don't know what that number is to begin with, but after we know that it's zero, right? All right, you ready? You ready for the next one? Anybody? Oh, I see. Wait a minute. Brian. Original equipment manufacturer. Yep, OEM, if you're into parts or cars or, or, yeah, all right. All right, I think this is going to be an engineering one. Do I have any engineers? See, the Tollivers used to come to church here, David and Kristen Tolliver, and I, and I sent him an email, and I said, I need your help. I need you to give me some engineering abbreviations. Malcolm, did I see your hand go up? Root mean squared. Come on. I don't even know what root mean squared is. But Malcolm knows. So if you need to know, you can ask Malcolm after the service, and he'll tell you. All right. Another engineering. Nathaniel, you know this one? Cubic feet per minute. All right. Who are my shooters in the room? Any shooters in the room? DAO? How? Double action only. The trigger, right? It both cocks the hammer and releases at the same time as double action trigger. Nice. Nice. What's that? What did he say? Thank you. Who said as soon as possible? Come on. It says we're repurposing this one, right? It's not as soon as possible anymore. It is as soon as prayer. It's as soon as prayer. When we are in crisis, when we have needs, when we are waiting for something we cannot imagine living without, when our situation seems hopeless, and when our turn has not yet come, God simply says, as soon as prayer. As soon as prayer. If what you're waiting for hasn't happened yet, pray. Because prayer is what God is waiting for. And if you have already prayed, pray again, because prayer is the only place that you will find the patience, endurance, and perseverance to continue trusting in the timing of a sovereign God. Job 21.15 says, Who is the Almighty and why should we obey Him? We're going to be taking a part of the first part of that verse in the October-November series. But this last part, what good will it do us to pray? And for many of you, that's the sentiment that you carry around. Many of you did. For a lot of you in here, you don't need to learn anything more about prayer. Your frustration is that you just don't pray, right? 
that you don't need information about prayer. There's just something inside of you that needs to change so that you begin to live up to the truth that you already know about prayer. Our hope by the time we get to the end of this series is not that we've taught you some more details about prayer, but that we've inspired you and released you and helped see you changed by God's word so that you become a person of prayer, that you begin to pray more than you ever have in your life. So this week I was, I was uh, disappointed because, you know, football season is here and, and uh, Thursday night comes on the NFL Network and we don't get that in our channel package apparently, right? So I had to call up and I'm thinking, you know, we're on month to month. I was like, I'm going to work a deal. I'm going to work some type of deal. And so I'm calling the, the company that, 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 that we have and, I, and I'll tell them, hey, I want to, what, what's it going to take for me to be able to get this, this channel? And so the lady on the other end of the line, she says, well, for, for a one-time payment, see, whenever they start saying for a one-time payment, you know you're in trouble, right? For a one-time payment of $39, you can get the red zone package. I said, well, what is that? She said, well, you get every game every weekend. I said, don't tell my wife that. You get every game for every weekend for the red zone package. And I said, I'm not sure that's right. She said, no, 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 you do. You get every, every game, every game, the red zone, for just one, $39. I said, that doesn't seem right. I said, do you know what the red zone is in football? And there was nothing on the other end of the line. It's this long pause. I said, because the red zone, you know, it's, it means when you get to a certain distance, it's a 20-yard line, we, we, then that's the red zone. So I think what you're saying is you, you only get to watch once they get that close. She's not saying anything. So I pulled up the website. I read to her what it was, right? She said, okay, well, you get that for $39. <laughs> and then I didn't say anything, right? Because that's not what I'm, I'm looking for. I'm telling you that story because for many of you, that's how you view prayer. That's how you view prayer, as if God's trying to sell you something that you don't want. It, it might be that you, that you come, you, you have a really distinct expectation of what you're hoping to get out of that conversation with God, and you walk away a little bit unfulfilled, and it causes you to begin to ask the question, does he really, does he really know what he's talking about? Does this book, when it talks about God, does it, does, is it really true? And for many of us, because we've had experiences like that in prayer, we just get frustrated with prayer like Job did, and we begin to say things like, just what good will it do for me to pray? And we live in that place of frustration, and we just stop praying. We don't want you to be a person that stops praying because there are treasures in prayer that God has waiting for you, and we want you, come on, to take hold of all of those. All right, so we're in this series, we talked about procrastination last week and permission. We're, we're, we're uncovering some things. What, what is it that keeps us from praying? We're working through a list that says, if I could deal with these issues, then I would become more of a person of prayer. And perseverance is the first one that we're going to dive into tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. Oh, I like this parable that Jesus teaches. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything for him. Then he will answer from the inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed and I can't get up to give you anything. Now, in ancient times, he really meant that, right? For you and I, we say that, and we, it's just because we don't want to get up because we don't want to be inconvenienced. But in, in, the, in the days of Christ, this had a, a really literal meaning because many people lived in one-bedroom homes, or just one-room home. There's no bedroom. Or maybe there was an extra room. 
But so when they went to bed at night, they were bringing in farm animals and sheep, right? All of their valuable possessions were brought. All of that was packed into one room, and there's just zero floor space, right? So you can imagine this father, he said in this story, people are listening to Jesus teach this parable. They get it because it's happened to them. They're saying, I, literally, I cannot even get to the door. Any, any of you pet people, right? I know. Many of you sleep with your pets. We know who you are. All right, all right. Back then, in, in, in this day and time, they, 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 all of those pets to them were their livelihood. It, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was their their ability to live and survive. Everything was in this room. It wasn't out of enjoyment like for us who have pets today. It, it was for them, it was, are we going to make it? All of that was packed into that one room. And he's saying, I, I, I can't come. I cannot come to the door. Listen to what Jesus says. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and he will give him as much as he needs. I want to keep going here. I want to, I want to read verse 9. It says, so I say to you, keep asking. So now Jesus is turning to the crowd. Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who searches finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is saying, hey, in your time of prayer, it's going to feel like God is this person in the house who's got all these things that are in his way, and he can't get to where you are. Don't. Stop telling him what you need. At some point, he's going to answer your cry and he's going to come to your aid. And don't you love the part where it says he will give you as much as you need? There's a generosity, there's a liberalness to the heart of God. And for, for, for many of us, we've given up praying right at the moment we were about ready to cross the threshold of our breakthrough. And God says, come on, keep pressing in. Keep pressing in. Luke 18, if you're a note taker, one through eight, we're not going to read that one, but you should check that out. That's another great story of a, of a, of a woman. It's a, a parable, and she gets what she was asking for because she didn't give up. And, and Jesus begins to teach that parable, said, I would, I would know that people would know how to pray and not give up. We want to be a church where you know how to pray and not give up. So the story that I want us to look into, with each point we're kind of setting it up with a text, but then we're digging into a story to really learn about what God's saying to us through the point. And so Genesis 2, verse 18, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Genesis 2. Oh, we go to the story a lot. This is, this is, oh, this is good. Come on. Then the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible right there. My other is in the book of Acts where Peter's taking a nap and God says to him, rise and eat. Because see, that's a double benefit. He's sleeping, right? That's in the Bible. And then he gets to eat. So it's not, those are my two favorites right there. Actually, there's a third favorite we're going to get to in a minute. Then the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is like him. Now, this is what's interesting. You find in the Bible when you read a lot, where it turns is not where you expect it to go. So you would think that this would be the part of the story where God makes Eve, but that's not what happens. So the Lord God formed out of the ground each wild animal and each bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever man called a living creature, that was its name. So I'm just, you know, 
if, if I were Adam and I were in that setting, I think I would be saying to God, I thought you just said that I shouldn't be alone. Because see, a pet's not really what I want right now, God. You know? If, if, if when I look out into creation, which we know Adam has already done, and he sees that everything is paired up by twos, Adam's had a, a revelation of loneliness. He, he realizes God gave every other living creature in the garden a partner, but I'm by myself. And for some of you, this is, this is like your journey. You feel like God has spoken over you and resonated with the need, the felt need that you feel, but what you see God doing doesn't seem to be responding to the need that you believe that he recognizes in your life. There's a reason for that. So he brings all of the animals to Adam, and he's naming them over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And See, Adam has a honey-do list already, and he doesn't even have a honey. It's just not fair, is it? So then the man gives names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky. And then it's, all right, so verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over man. See, I'm telling you, sleeping is a huge part of Christianity. And, and, he, and he slept, and God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place, and then the Lord God made the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman. And he brought her to the man and said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And this one will be called woman because she was taken from the man. Verse 24 said, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they became one flesh. And then you see, this is another favorite. You got to look verse 25. And both the man and his wife were naked and felt no shame. That's another sermon for another time that we talk about, but God's into pleasure. He created it. It was in the world before the fall. But this is what I believe about this idea of about perseverance, is that God loves to build the fulfillment factor for the moment that he gives you what you're asking for. He's dramatic. And, and, and for some of you here, you've been praying for something for a long time, and you've begun to feel like, I'm not sure God cares. I'm not sure he knows. I'm not sure why he's not doing what I know he knows he needs to do and what I keep calling out for him to do. And then you want to stop praying because you think that he, he doesn't care. But what God says to us is, you, no, 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 no. The reason why I haven't done it yet is because I do care. Because God wants to build that moment of fulfillment so that it's as big as it can be. If God had just given Eve to Adam in that very first moment, it would have been a really great moment. But I'm telling you, because he had to wait all the more, it was all the better. And God not only takes joy in giving you what you're asking for, he likes to do it in a way that causes the fulfillment that you experience in the moment that you receive it to be as big as possible. And another reason why he gives that is not just because he's trying to deepen the fulfillment factor, he's trying to extend your sense of sacredness. Because he understands that one of the inclinations of our humanity is that we grow weary of things. He understands that the part of the nature of our humanity is that, that we grow bored of things and we get tired of things. And things that, that you've had in your life that have come easy to you, oftentimes you grow weary of them sooner than the things that you had to work hard for and wait longer to get. The sacredness, that's part of what we talk to married couples about, about this idea of dating and getting to know each other. Part of it is that you're building up to this moment where you stand at an altar, 
let's not be in too much of a hurry to get there because once you walk away from that moment, you need to have been together long enough before you were married so that when you step out into the vows of that marriage, that a sense of sacredness has taken root in your heart. And so some of the things that you're asking God for, maybe you don't even understand the depth of the sacredness of those things, but God does, and he makes you wait because he wants to make you smile. And then he just wants you, when he gives it to you, to just be able to see it for the sacredness that he sees it for and you not grow too weary of it too soon. Come on, he's a good God. We are often reluctant to pray because our faith has reached its final point of fatigue. We're just saying to you tonight, if you have been laboring in a place of prayer for something, do not give up. Even if you now have got to begin to ask God for the endurance that you need so you won't give up, come on then, just add it to your prayer. He's not making you wait because he doesn't care. He's not making you wait because he takes pleasure in making you uncomfortable. He is a God who delights in giving you the desires of your heart. Trust the timing of a sovereign God. All right, number, number two, posturing. All right, so come on, we like participation at the City Life Church. What are some ways that you find that body language helps you communicate and express yourself? What are some settings that you might be in where you might be physically animated? Anybody? David? Worship? Absolutely. Did you? You said? Football? No question. No doubt. Teaching in your classroom. Any other teachers in here? Right? Come on. You're not just behind your desk the whole time, right? You're up. You're moving around. Somebody else. What are some settings? Dale. This is a wise man. I'm just telling you. When I see my wife walk into the room, all you young husbands, you should take note. Come on. It's a points-based system, and he just, that's about a million points right there. Come on. Self-defense. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody else. One more. Come on. Body language. Settings that you use body language in helps you express yourself. Frustration. Frustration. None of you have ever felt that emotion before, right? We, we understand in just our everyday life that there's a part of us that we can't see that needs the help of the part of us that we can see to help express itself. We read this verse in 1 Peter 3, 4, which again is another sermon for another time, how it gets misused. But embedded in this, Peter's talking about something else, but so often in Scripture you find this other truth hidden in there. It says, you should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within. That's the New Living Translation. But, but in the Greek, it's the hidden person of the heart. This comes from within. The kruptos anthropos cardia, the hidden person of the heart. And Peter is saying, don't you ever forget that the most beautiful part of who you are is the part that no one can see. And it's the part of you that's eternal. It's the part of you that makes you special. It's the part of you that makes you different from, as different as you think this outer shell makes you from other people. The immaterial part of who you are, that's the part of you that's a treasure. That's the part of you that's a treasure that's going to exist for all eternity. And as we begin to dig around in Scripture, we begin to realize that God has a lot to say about what we already learn from our natural world. 
You already understand and appreciate the idea that you're the immaterial part of you, who you are, the part that, that you can't see, it is dependent upon the part you can see for expression. So there's moments, right, in life where all the emotions that you and I just talked about, that our bodies, it gives that part of who we are a voice. I'm telling you, especially in worship, if you've not ever engaged your physical body in worship, clapping your hands or raising your hands, I'm telling you, you experience worship at a different place because that part of you, inside of you that you can't see, it's longing to declare the glory of God and it needs your physical body's help to do it. In Numbers 20, verses 1 through 6, it says, The entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and they settled in Kadesh. And it says, Miriam died and was buried there, and there was no water for the community. So they assembled against Moses and Aaron, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, Now, if we were to continue to read that story, we find one of the arguments, again, that the people of, Israelites, the, the people of Israel are having with, with Moses, right? They're, they're not happy with their, with their leadership. And as you continue to read in that story, it says that Moses and Aaron, it says they left the assembly and they went to the tent of meeting. It's a, it's a powerful moment in that, in that story. Because for many of us, that's what we need to do. There's, there's times in our life where we need to withdraw from the crowd and find a place where we can have an audience with the creator of the universe. There's times in our lives when we're frustrated. There's times in our lives where other people are frustrated with us, right? There's times, right, you know, there's times when your wife is frustrated with you, your children are frustrated with you. There's, there's times where you just have to pull away from the crowd and find a place where you can have an audience with the creator of the universe because you need him to speak to you. You need him to heal you. For some of you, it's because the reason why they're frustrated is because you need God to change some things in you. There's a little elbowing going on out there. But as you read in the story, you find something I think is powerful. It says that Moses and Aaron, when they got to the tent of meeting, let's read it. When they got to the tent of meeting, Numbers 20. Then Moses and Aaron, they went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting. They fell down with their faces to the ground and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. I don't think that's coincidental. I think it's causal. I think that there was a direct relationship for the way that they postured themselves and how in that moment they were awakened to the presence of God. As we read the Bible, we find over and over and over all of these examples of how we're supposed to posture ourselves and pray. Walking, standing, lifting our hands, bowing our heads, laying prostrate on the ground. There's a list in there, and it's there for a reason. It's not just trying to protect some tradition that, that God just wants to, us to do because it's some lifeless practice. It's because he understands the relationship that exists between the material self and the immaterial self. He understands that there's something inside of us that's dependent on the part that we can see for expression. And in places of prayer, for some of you, the reason why your prayer life is lacking is because you're not letting this physical body serve the eternal part of, of who you are the way that it needs to. And I'm just, if you were to just take some chances with your times of prayer, if, if every time you pray you fall asleep because you're sitting in the chair that you take naps in, right? Connect those dots. Go for a walk in your neighborhood to pray. 
When we're in prayer for early, early morning prayer, we do on Fridays. Come on, some of you need to, to check that out at 6.30 at the offices at North Riverside Baptist Church. We're in Williamsburg at the Williamsburg campus there at 222 Monticello. Where everyone, if you're there, you'll see, sometimes you'll see me kneeling. Sometimes you'll see me sitting. Sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll see me with my, my head bowed and my hands clasped. Sometimes you'll see me walking around, right? I'm engaging my physical body because I understand the part of me that we can't see. It needs to express itself. And as you do, you will be awakened to the Spirit of God, maybe in some ways that you never had before. And this is what's powerful, too, is that also your physical body can begin the way you posture yourself can affect the way that you feel. As parents, one of the, the, the tools that we employed when our children were young, if they were having a moment where they lacked self-control, we would have them sit in a chair like this. with their hands on their knees, still a focused posture, it worked every time, right? Because there's a principle that we find in this book. The way that you posture yourself can begin to change the way that you feel. When you stand in the presence of a sovereign God and you're like this, I'm telling you, it will change the way that you feel. If you want to feel surrendered, then posture yourself surrendered. If you want to feel humbled, then posture yourself humbled. If you don't think it works, the next time that you have to apologize to your wife, men, get on a knee. I'm just telling you, all the women are writing that down right there. It's a points-based system, guys. I'm just telling you. Catch that up. For some of you, your prayer life, it's just, it's a, it's a little bit lacking it's a little bit lacking because you're not letting your physical body do some of the work that it's supposed to do. That if you will do it, then you can have a Moses and Aaron experience when you withdraw from the crowd, find an audience with the creator of the universe, and you will experience his glory. We are often reluctant to pray because our past prayer experiences have been lifeless and uneventful. Come on, posture, posture. All right, come on, let's do one more. Promises. Promises. Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now if this verse only said, Now to him who is able to do all that we ask or think, that would have been enough, right? Because that would be a big promise. Saying God is able to do, do all that you ever ask or think. I don't know about you, but I ask God for some big things, and then I also dream about some even bigger things. And God's saying, as big as your imagination is, I can do all of that. That would have been a great verse, but that's not how the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that to the church of Ephesus. So if it had just said, now to him who was able to do above all that we ask or think, that would have been big, but it didn't stop there. Now, now to him who was able to do abundantly above all, but it didn't stop there. Now to him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly Above all, you think God's trying to get a point across here? He, he's saying that, hey, I, you have no idea of what I want to do in your life. You have, you have no idea. As, as big as you think your imagination is, on your best day of dreaming, on your best day of imagining, it's still just a morsel compared to the plans that I have for you. Come on, that's a big promise. And I'm telling you, something changes inside of you 
in relation to your prayer life when you begin to live every day with the revelation of the goodness of God that is exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. You can't wait to get there to talk to him. Because he's not the person on the other end of the line at the phone company who doesn't know what the red zone package is, right? Oh, come on, Genesis 48, I love the story. Don't you love the stories in the Bible? Is it just me? Come on, they are rich. All right, Genesis 48. Genesis 48. Let's pick up in verse 1. It says, so the time after this, Joseph was told, your father is weaker So he set out with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And when Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel, right? His name used to be Jacob, and God changed his name to Israel. Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. Now Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, I will make you fruitful and numerous and I will make many nations come from you and I will give this land as an eternal possession to your descendants to come. Your two sons born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are now mine. Ephraim and Manasseh belong to me just as Reuben and Simeon do. Children born to you after them will be yours. Now, at first glance, it could seem like, right, this is an overzealous grandparent, but, but he's not saying that they're going to come live with me and I'm going to raise them. What he's saying is that these two sons are going to be an heir to the blessing that God has spoken to my life, just like the rest of the children that were born to me. It's a, it's a powerful gift that he's giving to these two boys right here. It says, when I was returning from Padan to, to my sorrow, Rachel died along the way. Some distance from Ephrath in the land of Canaan, I buried her there along the way to Ephrath. That's Bethlehem. And when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, these are my sons that God has given to me here. So Jacob said, bring them to me and I will bless them. Now Jacob's eyesight was poor because of old age and he could hardly see. And so Joseph brought them to him and he kissed And he embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, but now God has even let me see your offspring. And then Joseph took them from his father's knees and he bowed with his face to the ground. I want to stop there before we're going to pick up in verse 17. It's a powerful story that's that's, that's being laid out here. And every time, every time I read this story, I think about as a, as a little child, I grew up in an Episcopal church out in Verina in the east end of Richmond. It was a small country church, a rural community. And, and, uh, and when we would do communion at this church, that there would be a, you know, an usher that would work his way uh, down the aisles. And when he got to your aisle, then you would, you would go up and, and, and you would kneel at the altar. They used real wine and these little wafers, and you weren't allowed to take communion until you had gone through confirmation. And so as a little child, I would go up there with my parents, and I would kneel at the, on the kneeler. And Mr. Edelton, he was the priest. He would be on the other side. And whenever he would get to us at the children, he would just put his hand on our head, and he would pray a prayer blessing over our lives. It's a power. I can still feel his hand resting on the top of my head. I loved the weeks that we did communion. And that was a, a, is a powerful memory for me because it, it, it began to form a belief in me that that's what God does for me every day of my life. 
that when I kneel before him in a place of prayer, that, that he just rests his hand on my head and I feel safe, I feel loved, and I know that he's just speaking blessing over my life. And so this moment that Ephraim and Manasseh are stepping into, it's a powerful moment, not just because of, of the material blessing that's going to come to them through this promise that, that Israel is giving to them, but it is forming something inside of them that as a grandfather he wants to give to his grandsons, this is how God wants to love you all the days of your life. And as we pick up in verse 17, it says, When Joseph saw that his father had placed his right hand on Ephraim's head, he thought it was a mistake. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh, right? Because Manasseh is the older son. And Joseph said to his father, Not that way. This one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head, right? Because it's a good story here, because sometimes we're trying to help God do it the right way. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a tribe and he too will be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his offspring will become a populous nation. So he blessed them that day with these words. Israel will invoke blessing by you, saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And then it continues to go on in the story. I want you to see the story because it's powerful. If, if you've read the story of Jacob, right, which we talked about when, when, when we were doing that, that, that message on betrayal, he did a lot of betraying in his life, didn't he? And one of the ways that, 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 that he betrayed his, his father was that he pretended to be his brother. And you gotta, you got to see the connection here. It's so important. Because what, what Israel has learned now later in life is that I don't have to manipulate the things that I'm desirous for. I don't have to lie and cheat and steal my way into things that I believe that God has spoken over my life. If I will just trust providence, he will even break tradition to fulfill the promise that he keeps to me. Right, so, so this is an emotional moment for Jacob. I, I, it's huge for him because I think in the moment that God speaks prophetically to him and as he's putting out his hands, right, he crosses them in that prophetic moment. I, just, I, think he had a, I think he had a revelation. I think God spoke to him and said, this is what I would have done for you if you had trusted me. This is what I would have done for you. If you had walked into the tent with Esau, your father would have just crossed over his hands. Because not even traditions of men can keep the providence of heaven from being fulfilled. And some of you need to hear that tonight because some of you, you feel like Manasseh. You feel like you come to God and everybody else is always getting the blessing. And it's powerful, isn't it, that Israel says to his son Joseph, hey, God has a blessing for him too. And it's hard for some of you because it feels like you're always the one walking away from your, your time of prayer having to wait for the blessing that's not yet come. And we want you to hear tonight, 
with a resounding roar coming out of heaven that God's hand is going to find your head no matter what it takes, that you cannot outrun the favor of God in everything that's exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or imagine. God is going to make sure it finds its way into your lap. Don't give up on Him. Don't you give up on Him. The worship team is coming back up, and i got one more verse I want to share. It says, we're often reluctant to pray because we lack expectancy for the goodness of God. There's got to be something inside of you that says he's got promises for me, even if it feels like you've just been waiting too long. So as we've been reading through the Bible in a year, if, come on, even though the, come on, the years is, is we're in the home stretch here, if, if you've not been, could just pick up where we are. And I'm telling you, get that thing happening in your life where you're opening up God's Word. And we were reading in, in Jeremiah some time ago, you, you find this verse where it says, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. God wants to speak to you. You might not hear his audible voice, but there's a voice that he speaks to you that you hear with something deep inside. For some of you this week, you're going to feel God speak to you like Jeremiah spoke to him. For some of you, it just might be a moment where God says, hey, I want you to turn the TV off and go for a walk in the neighborhood. I have some things that I want to talk to you about. I'm just telling you, don't let those moments pass you by. Don't, don't let the, you might be coming home from work and God might speak to you. Don't turn into your neighborhood yet. Keep driving. I've got your attention. I, I want to talk to you a little bit more. You might be at home. The phone's going to ring, and you're going to feel the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Don't answer that. I, I got some things that I want to say to you. You might be sitting in your easy chair, and the whisper of the Holy Spirit's going to come to you and says, would, would, would you be willing to just get on your knees right now? Posture yourself in a place of humility. And I've got some things that I want to say to you. There's going to be a Jeremiah 18.2. Come on, I believe for every person that's here tonight, this week, where God's going to say something. He's going to ask you to do something. And there's going to be a voice that you find of Him in that place. I'm just telling you that it is going to touch you in such a deep way that it's going to begin to transform and change who you are. Stand with me as, as we worship with a song. Father, we just declare today that you are good. We declare to, tonight as we're gathered in this place that, that for those of us who feel like we've just given up, that we're going to persevere, that we're going we're to keep pressing in. We're going to be like the, the, the person in the parable in Luke 18, that we're going to know how to pray and not give up, God. And we just declare tonight, Father, that, that over every person here who maybe hasn't uh, experimented with some posturing in prayer, God, that you're just going to give them a, a sense of confidence, that you're going to give them a sense of courage to take some risk and to take some chances with their prayer life. They're going to experience prayer, Father, in a new way. But above all else, God, we say tonight, we believe that you have promises that you've spoken over our life, some that we've been waiting for for a long time. And we know also, God, there's promises that you've even yet to speak over us that we can't wait to hear that you always, without question, have our best interest at heart. And may you find us on our knees until they come to pass. Come on, let's worship together. You bled with one desire in order to bring new life.